Studios of WORQ in Wisconsin. This is the Stand Up for the Truth podcast. Today's issues, overlooked headlines, and biblical observations, equipping the remnant around the globe. Got your sword handy? This is Stand Up for the Truth. Monday, September 25, 2023. I'm Crash Connell, and I am the host today, a fresh new podcast. And our guest is uh, returning guest. And occasional host, Scott Shera. Good morning, Scott. Good morning, Crash. We have an exciting show planned for you. Not today, but we're working on it. <laughs> it's coming soon. I, I always want to remind everyone, just in case, uh, some of the stuff that blows you away, we want to remind you what Scripture tells us about testing everything. First Thessalonians five twenty-one and 22, test everything, hold fast to what is good, abstain from what is evil. And, of course, we most of us know First uh, John 4, 1, Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone into the world. Don't take our word for it. Take it to the Word of God. Do your own research, because we're just going to throw a lot of information at you. And sometimes, lot uh, Scott, sometimes the Holy Spirit brings people to these podcasts, and they're hearing stuff for the first time. So um, if you've heard Scott on Stand Up for the Truth before, you may hear some reoccurring themes. But uh, it, it is absolutely real. So, uh, well, welcome back here. Hope you had a blessed weekend. I, I know that uh, you, I'm sure you celebrated uh, Grace's birthday over the weekend. We did, in fact. Because Friday, I believe, was her yeah, birthday. Friday was anniversary her, of her birthday. Anniversary of her birthday. She would have been 21 years old on Friday. And we did something that Grace always enjoyed, which is we went to the go-kart track. And, you know, you know, we, you and I have a similar sense of humor. So you see these signs right at the go kart track, like no bumping. Well, you I'm can't not, do that, right? Yeah, I'm not going to be bumping. I'm going to smash right into the person. It doesn't say you don't smash. <laughs> it. Like a wet paint. <laughs> I'm not going to bump. Exactly. <laughs> Why would I do that? So anyway, we really it was it's so much fun to do that. And Grace, uh, Grace's personality, she would she would uh, be like on a Sunday leisurely drive. Around the go kart track, it was it was so cute. So. Yeah, the wind in the air. Well, that's awesome, and so um, got a lot of cover here. But uh, you've been involved in a lawsuit. Uh, do you want to give a little background on why you are? Uh, what does? Uh, how how did we get here today? Just a little bit about yeah, that for our great, first time listeners. Great question. How we got here today is Grace's last day on Earth was October thirteenth of two thousand twenty-one. So we're coming up on that date in three weeks and what happened after she died is uh, a lot of research and digging into the medical records and the short version of what happened is she was given a sedation med called Presidex. Grace had Down syndrome and that's going to tie into our story in a bit but she was given a sedation med called Presidex for four and a half days and the package insert for that med says that you're not supposed to use it for more than 24 hours. If you do, it causes acute respiratory failure. The first cause of death listed on Grace's death certificate is acute respiratory failure. Well, in, strangely, the doctor, Dr. Shokar, the morning of Grace's death, called Cindy and I at home. So you think, well, why were you at home? Well, I was taken out by an armed guard three days earlier. So Jessica was now in the room with... Did you hear what he said? He was removed by an armed guard. 
Jessica is Grace's oldest sister. So Jessica replaced me. Cindy couldn't do it at the time because she she was very sick. You know, Your I, wife. I, my wife, yes. And I'm not even calling it COVID anymore because of the psyop of COVID. But she had something. It may have been COVID. Uh, it the you know we may get into that as far as mm-hmm. you know what was this whole thing later on during the program but anyway Jessica is now with Grace the doctor Dr. Shokar called Cindy and I that morning the purpose of the call was to get our preauthorization to put Grace on a ventilator just in case and this was the fifth attempt and they framed the ventilator perspective that these type of things tend to happen in the middle of the night when we can't get a hold of the family. Because I become a researcher, I found out what was the motivation behind the ventilator push. A ventilator has a 90% kill rate with COVID as a diagnosis. So what's the purpose? And the purpose is money. As you know, money is the root of all kinds of evil. And in this case, the ventilator has approximately a $300,000 payday to the hospital. So if Cindy and I would have approved a ventilator, I can guarantee Grace would have been on one because that's where the financial gain is, and she would not have died on October 13th. She would have died three weeks later, consistent with the maximum payout for a ventilator. So we, we denied the ventilator. The doctor then switched gears and said, well, Grace had such a good day yesterday, which is interesting. She did have a good day. Because Jessica was telling us that in spite of being sedated at that point for four full days, while we were on the phone with the doctor, he increased the dose of Presidex to the maximum allowable dose. This The time period of this crash was at 1048 in the morning. And the nurse who had 14 years ICU experience, her name is Holly McGinnis, she, she went along with that order. So now they're thinking that is going to take Grace out simultaneous with hanging up the phone with us, eight minutes after the maximum allowable dose of Presidex, the doctor put an illegal do not resuscitate order on Grace. So the only logical connection there is that they thought the Presidex would take Grace out, but it didn't. So they combined Presidex with lorazepam and morphine in a 29-minute window. This is the med combination you give hospice patients in their last half hour of life. Nobody could have survived that. That's truly the second cause of death. For that to happen, not only did Dr. Shokar have to order the meds, the pharmacist had to sign off on the order, Nurse Holly McGinnis had to deliver the meds, and the alarm had to be overridden because those meds are contraindicated according to the morphine package insert. They cause death when you combine them. That's the goal. When it came time to revive Grace, the nurses stood outside the room with an armed guard. Well, I don't know if the guard was armed at that point. Jessica can't confirm that. But with a guard and hollered back when we said save our daughter they hollered back she's dnr that's when we found out she was dnr these details of the times of course we found out crashed by reviewing the records right and they refused to save grace and we watched her die on a facetime call at seven twenty seven p.m on october 13th of 2021 that led to a period where we didn't know which way was up we got the records found out she was killed ultimately requested a meeting with the doctor and the hospital CEO because that was my biblical responsibility. They rejected the meeting. We filed a complaint with the Department of Safety and Professional Services. They did a sham investigation, and all of a sudden the light bulb was going on for me, and by April of 22, I concluded that Grace was murdered. And that's why we're here today is because this story has become 
um, my responsibility and my life to be a full-time advocate researcher to help share this story so that people can wake up and their lives can be saved. So if this is your first time listening to uh, Scott share on Stand Up With The Truth, everything that we're going to be talking about is posted on the website, OurAmazingGrace.net. Everything. You can look it up for yourself and also follow the links because this is all documented and researched. Um, how many hours of research do you think? Have you, are you keeping up with that? Because it, yeah. I think you should. <laughs> well, at the beginning I was keeping up, but I'm not anymore. I'm, I, mean, I remember you said 400 hours at yeah. one time. It's in the thousands now, of course, sure. I mean, because now we're almost two years into it. So here it is, uh, it seems, and it's, and it's never-ending. So it's almost going to be two years here in October. Correct. Then so, you asked about the update on the lawsuit, so let me get to that okay. because it's, I think it's important. So we, we filed the first-of-its-kind lawsuit. This is uh, a bellwether case. We're believing it, it, it has the opportunity at least to blaze a trail for others, and others meaning there, was, there were 1.2 million Americans murdered in hospitals during the 39-month COVID era, and that number should shock people by itself. But when you frame it in terms of the rest of the world, it will really shock you. There's 200 countries on Earth. The United States was number one on the planet with hospital murders in the 39-month COVID era. How can that possible be? How can that be possible? 1.2 million. The number two country was India. India's population is four times that of the United right. States, and their land mass is only one-third. So it makes no sense. And their death count was 531,000. So our case is representing all of those murders that took place during the COVID era, but it's expanded, of course, to a lot bigger agenda, which is what we're going to talk about later. So the case, the lawsuit, we we promised God when he had us jump into this that whatever doors you open, we'll walk through. And the lawsuit became one of those doors that open, and we're walking through that right now. We filed the lawsuit on April 11th. At that point, uh, we filed against Ascension Hospital System, uh, St. Elizabeth's Hospital in Appleton, uh, Dr. Shokar, which I mentioned earlier, uh, Dr. David Beck, Dr. Daniel Leonard, Dr. Carl Baum, Dr. Ramana Murata, Nurse Holly McGinnis, and Nurse Allison Burkholz. So why did we do that? It's extraordinary to do that because of the cost. Most people aren't going to do that, but it, we decided to take that route because doctors and nurses in the entire country need to know you cannot use protocols as your excuse to kill somebody. So instead of just filing against the hospital or the hospital system, we wanted to make sure the people who did this to Grace have the opportunity to be held to account. So the lawsuit was filed on April 11th. All of the defendants had to respond by May 15th. They did. And one of the responses included a partial motion to dismiss, which the judge heard on July 14th. And he took the step of scheduling the first of its kind ever jury trial that starts. It's a three-week jury trial that starts November 4th, 2024, the day before the presidential election. Subsequent, he, <clears throat> or at that July 14th hearing, he asked our team to file an amended complaint, which we did on July 28th. And that amended complaint uh, resulted in two more partial motions to dismiss. And right now we're working on scheduling the next hearing. The judge said he's scheduling another hearing to hear those motions. They're similar to the first one. And 
so we're in play right now. We should know this week when that date is set, and then we will be announcing it so that we can pack the courtroom. I do want to explain to people the legal shenanigans that go on, how they try to get you off track and, and get you to stop. So in the first motion to dismiss, we have five legal claims. One of the claims is we, we want a declaratory judgment on the illegal DNR because you can't do this to people. And the reason we want a declaratory judgment is the Department of Safety and Professional Services, which is the licensing agency in Wisconsin, came back with a memo dated December 5th of 22 that said doctors are allowed to put unilateral DNRs on people in hospitals without their permission or without the power of attorney's permission. So how can that be? It's so crazy. we're asking the judge for a declaratory judgment. In the partial motion to dismiss, the defense attorney wrote regarding that claim, quote, the DNR order should be dismissed because A, the issue is not ripe for adjudication, and or B, the issue is moot because Grace Shera, the subject of the order, is deceased. So this falls into the category, you can't make that up. When I read that crash, I thought, if their client sees this, they're not even going to pay the bill. It's so foolish. But there's one that's even worse because it, it, it um, drills down what is happening at a legislative level. And the, at a legislative level, the, our state legislature, along with all, all the other states, they put boxes around the medical profession so you can't sue them. And if you do, there's, there's limitations. So what they're really wanting to do is make our case about medical malpractice instead of an intentional battery. And if they can make it about medical malpractice, well, that's just negligence. It was just an accident. And then there's a limitation of liability. So here's what the defense attorney wrote. Quote, the legislature's purpose in enacting a statutory scheme, he actually used the word scheme in the, in the motion, to govern claims for damages arising out of alleged medical malpractice was to encourage healthcare providers to remain in Wisconsin by imposing certain limits on the causes of action that a patient or her family member can pursue and on the types and amount of damages that can be recovered. So they're trying to make this about medical malpractice. The legislature has clearly made this scheme so that anytime you have a legal action against a medical professional, they try to wrangle it into medical malpractice. And this is not a medical malpractice case whatsoever. That, that that statement that you were talking about earlier, uh, my brain is still camping there. It, it, I'm going to put it in my words. You can't say that your daughter was murdered because she was dead. You can't claim that she was. In, in, it's in, I, it's, it, you can't claim we murdered your daughter. She's dead. Exactly. It, I mean, it, 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 I'm just making it real simple. It, you're making it very simple. And you, you know, can't this claim case, she was murdered because she's dead. That's correct. This case, just just to make sure that everybody understands, this is a civil case. It's not a murder case at this point. It's not a criminal case at this point. Okay. That's a different lane that I I don't want to talk about here on the air. We're working toward that end, but that's a completely different lane. Well, you lane. can set me straight. I was just yeah. like, that's what I heard in that statement. No, it's true. I mean, I'm telling boldly I believe Grace was murdered. There's no question in my mind. And this civil case, you know, remember the O.J. Simpson trial. There was a civil component and right, a criminal right. component. So most of the time, in most cases, there are two components. Right. So we believe we'll have a criminal component at some point in sure. this case, too. So uh, so are we caught up on the We're on the caught lawsuit? up on the lawsuit, <laughs> yes. Okay. So now we're going to switch gears. Scott Shera is our guest today on Stand of the Truth. This is a fresh new podcast today. 
And uh, the website with a lot of information, I want to make sure we give out the right websites, is ouramazinggrace.net. And um, can you get to your podcast from that website, or should we? Uh, you can. To- so my podcast is called Deprogramming with Grace's Dad, and there's a tab on the homepage of the website that links directly to the Rumble channel that we have to post the podcasts. And how long have you been doing the podcast, I guess? I'd, I'd, ten, a little over ten months already. Catching on? Yeah, it's it's uh, way more work than I expected it to be, but it is has been quite a blessing. Well, I know, uh, and the, and then the documentary that came out a few months ago, we saw that in the, one of the, the peer theaters, Breaking the Oath, that was released in May, and that answered a lot of questions for folks that are kind of catching up. And I think uh, uh, my theory, my belief is uh, with elections right around the corner, they're going to have to come up with another pandemic. I don't know how they're going to be able to pull off another health pandemic, but they're going to have to do something during the elections. But um, your press release is dated September 20th. I wanted to address that. Medical murder outpaces heart disease and cancer, becoming America's number one cause of death. Can you back that up? No, it's not made up at all, Crash. In fact, when you start computing the numbers, you see that it's number one by far. In fact, if we just take a look at uh, just cancer. So historically, we have heart disease has been number one at 700,000 deaths. It always has been, yeah. Cancer is number two at 600,000 deaths. And even the CDC admits medical malpractice is number three at 400,000. It always was. I remember in the early 2000s I looked it up. And uh, um, I was just surprised. I went, what do you mean? They called it medical accidents back then. And I'm going, that's a thing? That That it was so high. The the idea that there's medical accidents is real. So that piece, let's just go through an example. A, a week and a half ago, a lady emailed me. Her son was taken to the hospital with a seizure. The doctor performed a surgery and came out of the surgery and said, I missed with the scalpel. And so her son has a disability as a result of that accident with the scalpel. So these people are human. That can happen. The neat thing about that example is that he admitted it and and comforted the mom who now has to live with the disabled mm-hmm. child, and presumably they made that situation right to the extent possible. But the first step of making it right is acknowledging what you did. What we're talking about here is not malpractice. Malpractice has an incidence of negligence. What we're talking about here is what's going on on purpose. So what I've been doing, Crash, is I took all the research that I've done and now put it into a podcast format to discuss how is it that medical murder is, in fact, the number one cause of death in the United States and how did it come to be. I'll just give you a quick example to to tee it up. So if you look at the, the numbers, the COVID era exposed this agenda in with the COVID era, we see that all-cause mortality since January of 2020 is 13% higher today than it was in January of 2020. Well, that type of number would break the bank for an insurance company. This has never been seen before. 
a 13% all-cause mortality increase is 371,000 deaths a year. So add 371,000 to the 400,000 medical murder deaths before, and you're already exceeding the annual heart disease numbers. And I was mentioning about cancer. So cancer at 600,000 deaths. Well, cancer is our body's way to defend itself. And what happens is when you look at how cancer is treated, the word hasten death has to come right. out right. because hastening death is the equivalent of murder. So we have been programmed as a society that if you get cancer, the program treatments are chemo and radiation, which only have a 3% cure rate. And when you go to the doctor and he does a biopsy and says, hey, you have cancer, the next thing he says was, we can schedule you for your chemo and radiation treatment. And what does the person say? Well, they're typically on Medicare, Medicaid. And so the next question is, does my insurance cover it? And he says, well, the good news is you're on Medicare and you're covered. Mm -hmm. Well, this is by design. We think that once we're 65 years old and we get free health care, which, by the way, is not free. We've paid for this our whole life. And I'm going to go through some numbers a little bit later, Crash, that show how they're using the the finances to uh, promote the spirit of collectivism, which really is is the impetus behind murdering the disabled and the elderly. So with cancer, so now you the doctor says you have uh, the good news is your your health insurance covers it, and he puts his arm around you, and you just signed your death certificate and you schedule your chemo and radiation treatment for the next week, and you're starting on the process of hastening your own death because not only is the doctor programmed for those treatments, but you're programmed for it. Cancer's been cured. We ha- I had an interview with Dr. Brzezinski on my podcast. So not only is he one of the leaders in the cancer cure lane, but then we have multiple links to about 20 other cures for cancer that are in that podcast. So I want to go back to some shocking numbers. So we talked about um, the all-cause mortality in the entire population up 13%. The all-cause mortality in the people who were jabbed, quote, vaccinated, unquote, with the COVID jab, 24% increase in all-cause mortality. So when you look at that number, wouldn't you think if you owned a life insurance company, you would ask a question? So when you go in for a life insurance application, they ask you, do you smoke? Do you jump right. on airplanes, right? So you would expect that they would ask, did you get the jab? Well, we just put a key man life insurance policy on one of our men a couple of months ago, and I have to sign off on that as the owner. So I looked at the application to see if the question was in there. It's not in there. So what does that tell you? tells me the United States government is propping up the life insurance company to put a lid on getting this information out to the public. I, I know all everything you're talking about. I used to sell insurance. Key man insurance is uh, to, if, if you were to lose that person, you, you need to be able to replace that income that he, that person is bringing to the, uh, to the business. I, can't imagine why the insurance companies haven't fought to put that in in their uh, underwriting because it, it is a really big deal. It sounds like they're trying to put the insurance companies out of business. Well, I, they're either going to try to put them out of business or they're behind the insurance companies. That's the way I see it, okay. is that big business is in on this scheme. Now, so, Wild, I can't figure out. 
you can't figure it out. Why are they doing this? Correct. This is, a, this is what a lot of this confusion is. It doesn't make sense. Why would they do this? And I can't even going back to the beginning of this podcast, you're sitting there going, I mean, how many people, because actually I do know some people, it is what it is and they move on. And, you know, so I don't want to go back. I don't want to go back on that. So here we are way ahead. And again, all of this information is available on the, on the website, ouramazinggrace.net. Everything. Thousands of hours of research on there. So if you're hearing this for the first time, I know it's blowing you away. I know it is because you don't want to believe this. Here's I want to go through another one. Well, actually, let's frame this crash because when we look at COVID, what I see happening in today's environment is people are still focused on proving that COVID was a pandemic. So, for example, last week the news was that the mRNA technology went through breast milk, and so then it's impacting the babies. Well, no kidding. That was the goal. We've got to get beyond that, not because we shouldn't prove that and these people shouldn't be held to account, but it's way more important to warn people so that they know what's happening. If we spend our life trying to prove that these people lied to us, it's going to take decades because we're talking about the federal government. So COVID has three lanes. It has the virus lane, it has the jab lane, and it has the hospital murder lane. In the virus lane, what are they trying to do? They're trying to make this thing into a virus that was in a lab and it was an Correct. accident that right. escaped. Well, we know it was a poison when you start looking at how it was along uh, state lines or country lines. You can see it was released. It wasn't a virus that spread naturally. So we know it was a poison that was released. So to promote this lab leak theory, you can see the amnesty play all over it. Well, then you have the jab. Well, the Brooke Jackson case, which I've talked about before here, really exposed the reality. Brooke Jackson worked for Pfizer. She became a federal whistleblower because of the fact that she saw they did no testing. So she wanted federal whistleblower status. There's a false claims act that she filed in January of 21. The the company Pfizer came back as their defense when that lawsuit was filed with what's called an OTA and other authority agreement with the Department of Defense that Department of Defense that said this was never a vaccine. It was a prototype. So we had to do no testing. When this got to the federal judge, by the way, the United States government, instead of supporting the whistleblower, Brooke Jackson, they came in and supported Pfizer and said, yes, they're telling the truth. When this got to federal court, it was dismissed. It's now under appeal, but it was dismissed because the judge basically said that if this information gets out to the public, they will lose trust in the United States government. So that's the jab lane. Then we have the hospital murder lane, which Grace was a casualty of, and you realize now the whole idea. Why, why are we number one on the planet with hospital murders? Well, we had to get our murders up to create the fear propaganda for people to take the jab. And in the, the quarter that Grace died in, the last quarter of 2021, Blue Cross Blue Shield put an incentive together for their family practitioners. If they could convince 75% of their patients to get the jab in that quarter, the family practitioner received a $296,000 bonus from Blue Cross Blue Shield. You can't make this stuff up, Crash. It sounds made up. It sounds made up because they're going, what you're saying is they're telling them there's a financial incentive 
to follow these protocols. That's what you're saying. Shouldn't you incentivize health versus death? That's rhetorical. Yeah, it just, it, it doesn't, it, it, the, the most phone, uh, common phone calls that we get here at Q90FM and the emails is this is just too hard to believe and I don't want to believe it. And so here you've been involved in this, in this fight. And I remember when we first started talking about it, we were praying that you could even find an attorney that would get behind something like this because attorneys don't take cases that they believe they're going to lose. That's a big piece of it. You know, the, and, you know, the financial piece, the odds of winning, both of those are against attorneys taking on the case. Uh, a, a medical malpractice attorney that I was introduced to early on, he was touted as the best medical malpractice attorney in Wisconsin. And my wife and I watched a documentary on HBO called Bleed Out. And I would encourage anybody to watch this if you want to see how in on it the, the state legislature is. In that documentary, they exposed what this attorney told me, which he said, Scott, even in slam dunk cases like this appears to be, we only have a one in 10 chance of winning. Yeah. I said, how is that? He said, well, they circle the wagons around their own. And I said, well, what do you mean? He said, I had a case where the doctor sewed up a sponge inside the patient, the husband. He died. I ended up losing the case. I said, well, how could that be? He said, I brought in 10 experts. They brought in 100 yeah. I gotta hold that thought okay. here. We're running out of time for this. Uh, taking a two-minute break here. Our guest on Stand Up for the Truth live in studio, Scott Shower. Our amazing Grace.net. Your prayers and ongoing financial support keep our truth at any cost mission strong. StandUpForTheTruth.com. I'm Crash Connell. Our guest today live in studio, Scott Shower. Your thought uh, that I had to interrupt here. You were talking about one in ten chance of winning because our prayer when you first started this lord bring somebody that will even you know take this case and so uh you can you finish that thought you bet so the one in ten shall finish the story with that attorney so he said you only have a one in ten chance of winning he shared the story about a sponge being sewed up and he said they they circle the wagons around their own he said i brought in 10 experts and they brought in a hundred and in our case, we're going up against Ascension Hospital System. They have $30 billion in cash reserves. They're truly a Goliath. We're the David. The legal team we have is absolutely fantastic. They have taken the research that I've done and drilled it down and proven beyond a shadow of a doubt that we have a fantastic case. I had previously documented over 50 situations that prove what they did was intentional, and now they cross-referenced all the records, and we are ready to go. I mean, we could go to trial today, and the legal wrangling, of course, this is it just keeps happening. They tried to already do discovery before it's legal, so then you have to respond. But I'm talking to the legal team every week. We have a scheduled call again for this Thursday. Our briefs in opposition, that's what you write in response to the motions to dismiss, they're absolutely outstanding. The judge saw through it the first time. I believe he'll see through it the second time and have every one of our claims survive and be heard at the jury trial, which we need to have happen because the goal is to save lives crash. You know, think through if the judge does the extraordinary, which gives us punitive damages at the trial. 
That's that's very rare. But let's take it to an extreme. Let's say that he awards a billion dollars to our family at the trial. We've already said we're not taking the money. But regardless, a billion-dollar penalty doesn't hurt the Sension Health System. Remember I said they have $30 right. billion in cash. A billion dollars is what they save every year in income taxes by being the second largest nonprofit in the United States. So that doesn't hurt them at all. What we're after is stopping the behavior. That's why we've got to have this trial, everything survive and have the public involved, especially, you know, now we want as much as we can. But when we get to the jury trial, we're expecting for sure we will get national publicity. It good. Because that's the way it's been throughout history is the, let's get this settled and move on. Let's get this settled and moved on like, like big settlements and things like that, and everybody walks away and, and, and we can move on. You cannot move on from something that is part of our culture, and that is a big piece of the research that I've exposed in this idea that medical murder is the number one cause of death. What is our culture? The second podcast I did on this topic is called The Culture of Death. And we look at the Nuremberg trials Correct. as, wow, this, was, good, this good. was great. And the Nuremberg trials were great. But guess what? Go all the way back. And I'm not talking about all the way back, back to the beginning. But eugenics, if you want to go all the way back, was already – Plato talked about eugenics before Jesus was born. All right, but eugenics in the modern time, the United States is the – founder of the current eugenics movement. Hitler adopted our movement. Then we renounced eugenics because Hitler bought into it. We support the Nuremberg trials. But in reality, what did we do? We funded Operation Paperclip, which took 1,600 of the Germans who were involved with the eugenics experiments, and we brought them to the United States on purpose. And now that culture of death is so ingrained. I'll just give you a, a couple simple examples. If we look at, Crash, you and I are similar age. We're in the last generation where the kids took care of their parents. Now it's the nursing home agenda. Nursing The, the nursing homes, if you saw the numbers, have increased. I'm actually going to bring it up on a slide so I can talk through this exactly. The nursing home numbers in the United States from 1970, when Medicare and Medicaid started, Medicare and Medicaid increased in that 49 years 10,000%. The cost of nursing homes, nursing homes basically started in 1960, from 1960 to 2009, the cost of the funding of nursing homes increased by 20,000%, 216 times. So what's going on? That is part of the culture of death, where we put mom in a nursing home or a dementia center when she misses the mail one day. I mean, this stuff is, it's no good. So now we've got the, the elderly sequestered in nursing homes. The number of elderly that died in nursing homes with COVID was... 10 times higher than the elderly who were not in nursing homes with COVID. I mean, this stuff, it's, it's on purpose. So that's our culture of death. Take it to people with Down syndrome. Of course, yeah. that's my, my main lane because Grace had Down syndrome. Down syndrome preborn are murdered at the rate of 90% in the United States. This is right on the NIH website. 
mean, this is hard to grasp. Okay, so then take it down to what is happening. Walk through the culture of death. When a young couple gets pregnant, they walk into the doctor's office. The doctor says, let's schedule you for an amniocentesis. And, of course, they don't know anything. They just follow. They're trusting the white coat. So their insurance pays for it. They schedule it. And all of a sudden, the results come back. And he says, we suspect your son is going to have Down syndrome. I think we should abort him. So what's the reason? He actually believes this because they're trained. They're trained that Down syndrome people are a problem. And I'll I'll share some information from a Down syndrome training document that I have to prove it. So they're trained that Down syndrome people are a problem. They share all the problems they're going to have if they have this young boy or girl. And so the couple decides to abort them. That is a culture of death. So it's no surprise that when it comes to now we we flip forward to today. There's 135 million Americans on Medicare and Medicaid. The numbers for those people account to 50% of our annual federal budget to take care of the disabled and the elderly in the population because we become uh, they become wards of the state is now 50%. So then when you start implementing how to take care of these people through Obamacare, you bring in Ezekiel Emanuel. He said non-contributing members of society don't deserve medical care. So this is already embedded in Obamacare. Obamacare is the standard of care. Whether you're on Obamacare or not, it's the standard of care for our country. So all these eugenics philosophies are embedded under the excuse that we have to control our budget. Well, we know they don't have to control the budget crash because we're in a fiat currency. They can print money anytime they want to take care care of any foolish thing. But how about taking care of these people? These people deserve life just like you and I do. Just because I obediently pay my taxes doesn't mean I'm worth more than the disabled person who will never pay taxes. I want to just hit one more thing here, Crash. Well, I find it. Um, <laughs> well, oh. because, I mean, we could hang out in that lane for a little bit because uh, when, uh, the shock when you met uh, that lady that was a Holocaust survivor, Vera? Vera Sheriff. And you're going, this is getting, as you dig deeper and deeper, this is getting really bad. I mean, now uh, Grace being a Down syndrome because uh, uh, my wife and I, uh, when we got pregnant, they said, because of our age, of my age, I was in my uh, mid-40s, they're going, there's a good possibility of the child having Down syndrome, and, and I didn't know what it was. Go, so tell me, so they're educating me, and you can terminate, they didn't say abort, you can terminate the pregnancy if you want. And I'm like, why would I do that? And they said, because it's possible, it's possible, it's possible, it's possible. And I went, so? No. And so, it, like you said, they're kind of programmed that way, like, okay, like the cancer story that you told earlier, got a cancer diagnosis, time to sh- tell your loved ones, time to check out, right? And you're going, you're right. And so back to, uh, you were looking for some information, yep. so I wanted to make sure we... Yep, I found it, and I, I also want to, when you mentioned programmed, what happens is, because we're live and this is just interactive, it's neat, because you mention something and all yeah. of a sudden it goes off I, in my and head. And I don't so, want to get you too far off track. Well, that's okay. So last, a uh, couple weeks ago, uh, over Labor Day weekend, we went to the demolition derby, Grace always enjoyed the the trailer demolition in Shawano. So anyway, this is a regular demolition at the Shawano County Fair. And as God would have it, Grace's original pediatrician sat behind Cindy and I in the stands. And so we started talking with him. 
surprisingly, he did not know that Grace had died, even though he's seen the billboards. He didn't know that was our he didn't Grace. Connect the dots, but yeah. he had never looked up anything. And so then he asked, "Well, when when was it that she died?" And so we said October of 2021. And he said, "Well, wasn't there an antiviral available then? Something like Remdesa?" It's like, wow. So I asked him, "How awake are you relative to what's going on with COVID?" And he said, well, the nurses from AMC keep me abreast of what's going on. So you see the programming. If they're not looking at all outside of what they're being fed from the NIH, the CDC, the FDA, they don't even know what's happening. And so remember I shared the statistic about Blue Cross incentivizing. Mm -hmm. So this type of doctor, he gets incentivized. think, boy, I already believe in, in the COVID jab. So I can make another three hundred grand just by promoting it. It becomes, you know, they don't even know they're killing people. So this is this is medical murder. The jab has been proven to be a bioweapon, and yet they are still promoting it today in the United States. How is that possible? You can, uh, I, I think it was, I'll say Walgreens. It was one of the drugstores. They're promoting it. You walk in, there's posters right there. You, yeah, Cindy just them. told me that on you know, we we go to Smith Pharmacy, which is a private, it's not even a public pharmacy, and they're promoting, they're talking about their schedule for when you can get jabbed. I, I, it's hard for me to grasp. I think the poster said, "Now starting at the age of blank," and I was like, "What?" You know, babies. Like well, I, I can't remember three years. I think I can't remember, but I was like, eh. "So, oh, by the way, it's also free for your children." That's a phenomenal segue to the kids are in on this. And I want to, this is maybe the most shocking slide I've received so far since I've been a researcher. A lady who's been following the story sent me this two weeks ago. And this is, the title of this slide says, My Chart Proxy Access for Adult to Teen Accounts. So this is My Chart Ascension, Wisconsin. Right? That's right. All right. So. What it says is parents, once the child is age 13, are removed from the system of the MyChart. So now the child at age 13 owns their MyChart. The parent is no longer on the MyChart system. However, the teen can grant proxy access to the parent. So now age 13... Child owns the chart, parent has zero access unless the teen grants proxy access. If the teen does grant proxy access, these are the exclusions. All The parent has no access to all social history information such as sexual activity, substance abuse, etc. No access to the ability to schedule, cancel, confirm any prior or current appointments. And the parents ha- have no access to sensitive lab and radiology reports. How does that make you feel? I mean, you, ha- you well, have... Is there logic? You probably don't know this. Is there logic? We can't do effective health care if they're afraid to share information with us. We cannot be. We can't treat your kids effectively if they're afraid to tell us something that they don't want their parents to know. I just wonder what the logic is. Because the one thing that I hear from our listeners that complain is you're giving one side of the story. And we're going like, well, we've invited the other side of the story. And they've had, they chose not to participate in this. 
And this has been over the years that we've been doing this on Stand Up for the Truth. And all I can do is refer them back to OurAmazingGrace.net for all the information. Because what you're hearing today, if you're hearing it for the first time, you're going to have to research this self or this yourself. We're not going to be able to answer too many questions in, in just an hour broadcast. The Down Syndrome training document that I referred to before we got on, on this rabbit trail, it talks about, so this is, remember time, I want to go through the time frame. So sure. we talked about Ezekiel Emanuel. He said non-contributing citizens don't deserve health care. That philosophy was embedded in Obamacare. Obamacare was passed March 23rd of 2010. Section 1553 of Obamacare calls out the plan. This is the smoking gun. It says that the government may not subject an individual or institutional health care entity to discrimination. These are the doctors or the hospitals, the nursing homes, or the hospice care facilities. They cannot be discriminated against if they don't follow the plan. Well, what's the plan? That if they don't provide health, any health care item or service furnished for the purpose of causing or the purpose of assisting in causing the death of any individual, such as by assisted suicide, euthanasia, or mercy killing. So we have an anti-discrimination provision in Obamacare that says if these facilities or medical professionals don't follow the plan, they can't be discriminated against. We already know that that is the discrimination clause is bogus because during COVID, we had doctors speak out. We had nurses speak out. They're rare, but when they did, what happened? They were fired or they're ostracized, so they can't practice anymore. Yeah, the frontline doctors, for instance, a lot of them, so many of them lost their license. Nurses, they lost their license. If you don't be quiet, you you can lose, and they did. So now you take that type of situation. So now, all right, so you can't make somebody kill another person, but they do it through training documents. So this training document that we found is written in July of 2011. So this is written subsequent to Obamacare to share with medical professionals, how do we deal with people with Down syndrome? And this is written by the Palliative Care Network of Wisconsin. And what they do is they set up Down syndrome as this nasty thing So just to frame Down syndrome for anybody that has never met somebody with Down syndrome, if you see somebody, get just go up to them, start talking with them. You will see something so special. They will instantly love you. They don't judge. (laughs) You know, Grace was, Grace exemplified God's love. I've never seen anybody like her. She loved me even when I'm a jerk, which is most of the time. And she just did that unconditionally, Crash. She was just wonderful. She was the best thing God gave a second to salvation. But here's what they write about people with Down syndrome. They list, first of all, this. so this is a training document, and it lists problems. So the introduction is all these problems. So Down syndrome people have sleep apnea, dental issues, congenital cardiac septal defects, on and on and on. So about 50 problems that Down syndrome people have. So then the transition statement says the lifelong toll on families is high. Part of a robust plan of care includes acknowledgement of this toll by the healthcare worker. So the healthcare worker is supposed to realize this family doesn't want this person with Down syndrome because of all these problems. And we have to come in on the white horse and save this family from this nasty disease called Down syndrome. That's what's in the training document. So then they set up the killing statement, which gives them the permission to kill the person. And it says, whenever possible, decision makers for people with Down syndrome should be encouraged to use substituted judgment to make key palliative care decisions. 
All efforts should be made to determine the preferences of the patient. However, because of lifelong cognitive impairment, the views of the person with Down syndrome may not be known. Well, I know the view of every single person with Down syndrome, just like yours and mine, they want to live. So don't think this just applies to Down syndrome. Think through this idea of substituted judgment. We already have frailty scoring in the United States where our medical care is determined based on how frail we are. We have futility scoring. Based, so our medical care is based on the doctor's determination on if the treatment protocol is futile. These are already embedded in our laws in the United States, and they've been there for decades. COVID just exposed it. Seven minutes left. Now, the uh, podcast, the theme of this podcast is um, the number one cause of death in America is now medical murder. So I want to make sure... Scott, make sure that we didn't miss anything before we wrap it up. we got about six minutes here. So what I want to share in the last six minutes is how embedded this is with the people who are in on it. So, of course, we would expect that the medical-industrial complex is in on it. That's obvious, right? We've gone through a number of examples here. We have uh, doctors being promoting the jab. We have death protocols being implemented in hospitals. So we know that now that COVID has officially been closed, we know that remdesivir has a 75% kill rate. Ventilators have a 90% kill rate. So these people are implemented. That's the medical industrial complex. But then, of course, we would expect next the federal government. So the federal government is has a number of tentacles. We have the NIH, which we mentioned, the National Institute of Health, the CDC. But the one that I want to emphasize here is the FDA. So COVID is over. So would you think then that the incentives for COVID are over? And the answer, you know, of course, I'm asking the question because you already know the answer. No. On May 11th, they announced that all of the incentives, the emergency use authorizations incentives are still in place. Our son-in-law, Adam's mom, went to a hospital in Tennessee a couple of months ago. She was dehydrated. As soon as they got her in the room, they tried to push the ventilator. Why? It makes no sense. But they try to push it because it's still incentivized to the hospital. Why would you ever put somebody that's dehydrated on a ventilator? Thankfully, Adam is awake, and he's had the family involved and stopped this, you know, and insisted that somebody's with mom the whole time, and mom's alive because of Adam's quick work and ultimately because Grace died. Grace's death is waking people up. All right, so then the third leg of the stool, the third group that's involved is the state legislature. We've already covered that when I shared that the the details regarding what the laws are the laws that protect and put put walls around suing doctors. All right, well then after the state legislatures, who's next? Well, I mentioned before about big business. So big business, so we use the example of uh, the life insurance companies. But just think through. I mean, Target and, and Bud Light, they make marketing debacles like there's never been ever <laughs> before. How yeah. would they possibly do that unless they're being incentivized to uh, promote a social agenda that ultimately results in the premature death of people? There will be no consequences to this because anybody in their right, right mind, I would say, this is not a good idea. This is not our market. This is not our demographic. We can't do this. I'll using Bud Light as an example. And they're going, you will not have any financial consequences from this. 
Did I get that right? Yeah, that's that's right on. You know, the Rockefeller family has been instrumental in implementing these eugenics agendas. And David Rockefeller, I'm going to quote one of his quotes. It said, some even believe we, the Rockefeller family, are part of a secret cabal working against the best interests of the United States, characterizing my family and me as internationalists and of conspiring with others around the world to build a more integrated global political and economic structure, the one world, if you will, if that's the charge, I stand guilty, and I am proud of it. And that's big business. They're in on this. All right, so then the, the, maybe the most surprising group that's in on this, which you and I have talked about before, is churches. So the churches that stand on the fence and don't tell the truth relative to Romans 13 and 14, that's huge. If they are, are not telling their congregation to stand up against tyranny, what they're either they're either for the cabal or against the cabal. Just like Jesus said, you're either for me or against me. Diedrich Bonhoeffer was one of the few churchmen who stood in uh, stood against what was happening in World War II. And what he said, which still applies today, not to speak is to speak, not to act is to act. And then last, which we had a whole podcast on this when I did my guest hosting, is the controlled opposition. We don't know, you know, we, we can't get truth anymore from the regular media. We have to find alternative media sources, and even those have to be vetted because we don't know if there's controlled opposition that has infiltrated. And then last, I'll say, Crash, you mentioned about there's no consequences. In, and that really has funded all of, all of this because in a society, when you have the National Vaccine Safety Act passed in 1986, which made no consequences to vaccine suppliers, vaccine manufacturers, what do we have? We have a complete nightmare. God's mm-hmm. economy has choices and consequences. The United States has implemented a society where there's only choices and no consequences for all their pals. I have so many questions that could take us over our time, so uh, this we'll have to save it for next time because every time you say something, my brain goes someplace else. Well, uh, about uh, just under a minute and a half left here. How can our listeners pray for your mission? The main thing that they can pray for right now that is on our hearts is the hearing that's coming up that every single piece, the five components of our legal claim survive, that everything goes to jury trial. We don't want the judge to dismiss any piece of the claim because that would take away from the from the goal of using this case to stop the behavior and educating the public. You know, when we first started, we stood on Genesis 50-20, which is what you meant for evil, I meant for good, which is, ha- which is what is happening now, the saving of many lives. And Grace's story is about saving lives, both physically and spiritually. Thanks for having me today, Crash. It's always eye-opening. And again, let me point you to the websites, ouramazinggrace.net. We'll put them in the podcast post here when we get that up and running. And remember, uh, there's going to be a video version of this on our YouTube channel, Q90FM Radio. Have a blessed day.